Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. If you're anything like me, um, this week you will have kept a keen eye on the weather. It's been um, on our news screens um, and for us here in the Midlands it's been right on our doorsteps. Um, the, the rain has been um, pouring and we've been experiencing some flooding. Um, you'll see a picture up on the screen there. Um, that was actually from a week ago. Um, and it's, even, it's been even more um, closer to our homes um, this week. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about, these, thinking about the river. And I was thinking about the River Trent. And, you know, I love the River Trent. I've, we lived in the meadows for a while. I was always down there walking, sometimes running very occasionally. And even now we're in Beeston, and I'm often at Attenborough Nature Reserve looking at the, the beauty, the nature of the river. And, and the power of it, you know, the, our landscape in this country depends on the river system. And yet here we are this week, living in fear of the river on our doorstep. They are powerful forces. I heard a story of a guy who had um, just been awarded Pub of the Year this week, uh, sorry, last week, and went away for a week. On holiday to celebrate, got a call from his friend. Mate, your pub is three foot underwater. Comes back, absolutely devastated. His whole business is gone. Rivers are powerful, they're part of our landscape, and yet they can be devastating. We've been in this, this series, as Johnny was saying, on postures, and the idea really behind this series is to acknowledge that God wants to move in power in our time, in our nation, in this city. He wants to move in power. But the thing is, God invites us to be a part of that equation. He doesn't just want to do it in this kind of big force in the sky. He wants to use us. He wants to be working in us and through us for this city and this nation to be able to be moved by his power. But there's a responsibility that comes with that. That as we we are inhabited by God and the Holy Spirit and is working in us, we have to hold ourselves and posture ourselves in front of him and in front of our city, in front of those that we love, we, we need to be able to hold God's presence so that it doesn't overwhelm us, so that we don't get in the way of it, that we don't become distractions. If you were here last week, you might have um, heard me share a word um, up here. Um, it was just a simple word um, off the back of Johnny's talk on the posture of forgiveness. If you haven't heard that, I'd encourage you to go back because I think it's really key for this series. And... Um, this, this picture was just a simple one of a plug and a plug socket. And this plug was half in this plug socket. Um, and the idea really behind it, I think God was just saying that forgiveness is this key connection point. Without accessing forgiveness, without entering into that journey of forgiveness, we're, there's a misconnection there that we're, we're not going to get. We're not going to experience the fullness of God in our lives and through our lives if we are not engaging with forgiveness. Now, as I was thinking about this week, um, I just want to take that image a little bit further um, this morning, and I've been learning about electrics. It's quite an interesting <laughs> endeavor for me. I've never done that before. 
And um, you'll see on the screens this idea of what it means to earth something, earth electrics. And with a, with a, a live electric socket, essentially, as I understand it anyway, this diagram will probably give you a better idea. Um, if you have a fault in a, in a plug socket, the, the sort of conduit that that, plug, that electric plug will go through, if there's a fault, is you, if you touch it. So that's a problem, obviously. So what clever electricians did was thought, oh, I know, we'll, put, um, we'll earth a plug. So actually, rather than that fault going through us, it goes through the ground, goes through the earth. Now, what was interesting about that is that actually, I think in some ways, that's what um, our call is. That's what, as, as we are experiencing the Holy Spirit in and through us, there's a call on our lives to be earthed in that same way. God's powerful, God is powerful, and he wants to move in power. But you see, the thing, the thing with that is it's misdirected. If, if we misuse that power, it doesn't actually demonstrate who God is. So actually, if we, if we want to be able to show the world who God is, if we want to be able to live in, in his power, we actually need to be earthed ourselves. We want to be, do we not want to be a safe pair of hands for God to use as a church in this city? We don't want to be those kind of people that actually God can trust. That when we walk into our workplaces and in, in our families and in our schools and colleges, universities, that actually we're just so full of the Holy Spirit and such a safe pair of hands for God to use. Actually, the fruits of the Spirit, are just, they're just flying off us. It's just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. They're just flying off us. And all people can see is Jesus. We don't want to get in the way of his presence when he comes. We want to be grounded people. We want to be earthed. How do we become those kinds of people? Well, I wonder if you're familiar with this food that's going to appear on the screen. Any millennials in the room bringing back the hummus? It's not actually a favorite in my house. It is for John. I, a particular favorite is Moroccan variety. I quite like Moroccan hummus. But we're talking about a different kind of hummus um, this morning. Well, the pronunciation is probably a bit more like humus. It's got one M instead of two. This word humus is key for us this morning. The, it's the Latin word for earth, and it precedes the word humilis, which is the Latin for meaning on the ground. And you may have guessed by now, it precedes the word humility, our English word humility. See, right at the core of what it means to be grounded is this posture of humility. And you might be sat there thinking, oh, humility, yeah, here we go. I'm not really Mother Teresa, though. Like, what does that look like for me? Well, I'm going to take a stab this morning at showing you just how important it is that actually I'm really convicted that this is the core, right at the core of what God wants his church to look like, to be able to move in power in our generation. And I, I'm convinced that if we don't if we don't focus on this at this point, then we're not going to be able to carry the presence that God wants to put on his church. So wherever you sit on this, whatever you've heard before, I just encourage you to open up to God this morning to see what, what he wants to tease out in your heart. Whatever, whatever humility looks like, everyone will have a different description in their minds when they hear that word. But I just invite you just to put that, put that in front of God 
in your hands, open hands this morning and see what he has to say to you. A famous theologian, Tyron Edwards, said this of humility. True humility is not an, ob an abject, groveling, self-despising spirit, but it is a right estimate of ourselves as God sees us. I think the fact that Edwards actually starts with what humility is not says something about how hard this concept and this practice is for us to grasp. So I'm going to start there too. I've been on this journey um, of trying to get my head around humility for quite a long time now. Um, I had this crazy experience when I was 17, went to a Christian festival and this, in this cafe queue, just minding my own business, this guy comes up to me, middle-aged guy, just came up to me, said, are you Joanna? And I said, yes, sir, who are you? Um, and he said, I've got a word from the Lord for you. I um, didn't know him from Adam. And he proceeded to spend 20 minutes telling me about my life and all these things that he couldn't have known um, and prophesying over it. And I was just kind of 17-year-old in awe of what, this was, what was going on. And um, got him to write it all down because I was slightly overwhelmed. And um, I still have it now in my Bible and look back on it when I want to be encouraged. Um, but one of those things that he said that just baffled me at the time. Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. It baffled me because it made no correlation to how I was living my life at that point. He said, you will have the gift of humility. And I was like, that's, no, you've got it wrong, actually. That's not me at all. I was a self-absorbed, um, self-interested 17-year-old, very self-conscious, very aware of what people thought about me. Humility was not something I would have associated with myself. And it certainly has been a wrestle for me over the, over the, the sort of last 10 years as I've been trying to figure out what it is. But the reason I say it is because actually it's been on, it's been, it was, God peaked it in my interest very early on. And often he'll do that with prophecy as a side note, that actually God will say something over your life that you might like, oh, I don't know about that. But actually the Holy Spirit working in us wants to make that your reality. It might not be where you are in that moment, but he wants that to be um, your reality. And for me, I really feel like God has been working on this in my heart my life it has been painful it's been hard and you will hear a lot about that this morning but this is and this is something that God's been speaking to me about for a long time but with that in mind I want to take you on a bit of a journey of what that that 10 years wrestle so far 10 years has been for me now I want you to imagine your life as a line this is what I'm imagining mine as and in the, in our lives I think we have this core question who are we now notice I don't say, who am I? Because actually, if we're, if we're realistic with ourselves, we answer that question when we look to the right and the left. We look to what, what other people are and ourselves in relation to other people. So I think that it's key that we recognize that we see ourselves as a collective, as an individuals within a collective. Who are we? That's the core question that underpins all of our decisions that we make in life. Now, that probably isn't news to you, it's the identity question. But what, what, are your an what answers you have to that question really frames how you live your life, right? I think there are three main answers that we have. I am what I do. I am what others say of me. And I am what I have. I am what I do leads us to this sort of achievement-focused life. 
I am what I do, I am what I do, success, failure, where does that leave us? I am what others say. If you might be sat there thinking, oh, I don't care what people think about me. Well, you only have to have done something significant, I don't know, achieve something, and you know, you hear sort of six or seven people say, amazing, great job. There's that one person who says, great job, but it'd be great if you'd have done that as well. And what stays with you? What's the thing that you remember the most? The seven people that say, amazing, well done, or the one person that doesn't? We care what others say about us. And I am what I have. Family, health, money, property. Think about what happens in your inner world when you start to lose some, one of those things. Maybe that's an indicator of how much you rely on the answer, what I am, what I have. So if you live your life according to any of those answers, even just a little bit, what does this line become? It's a bit like a roller coaster. <laughs> if you're anything like me, it's a bit like a roller coaster. You see, we have peaks and we have troughs if we, live, if we live our lives according to the answer. We have the peaks of success. We have the peaks of affirmation when people see how great we are. We have the peaks of Yes, I got married. Yes, I've had a kid. Yes, I've got an amazing house. Yes, 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 yes. And then we have the troughs. We have the troughs of, I lost my job. I just got a divorce. My best friend just started saying awful things about me and I just don't understand why. We have this roller coaster this pendulum swing even, of pride and insecurity if we live our lives according to these answers. Omri Nguyen says this, one of the greatest dangers in the spiritual life is self-rejection. When we say, if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me, we choose the road towards darkness. We have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable. Then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. Often, we are made to believe that self-deprecation is a virtue called humility. But humility is in reality the opposite of self-deprecation. It is the grateful recognition that we are precious in God's eyes and that all we are is pure gift. So what's Nuan saying here? Well, I think he's saying that if we start with this posture of self-rejection, then all we will do is continually seek affirmation that we can do something for ourselves to make ourselves better. And actually, when we start to believe those things about ourselves, on a deeper level, that actually leads to pride. You see, the insecurity pride thing is so linked. But the beautiful truth of the gospel that we live and that we breathe is that God's grace, God's grace is the thing that makes it possible for us to be his sons and his daughters. As Nuon says, we are gift. We're gift. Nothing anybody in this room has done 
has said, has achieved, is going to contribute or has contributed to who you are in front of God as his children. Now, I've just had a baby, as many of you know. And many people have said to me over the last few months, God, Joshua, he's such a gift from God. And I've said, yes, you're right, he is. He's such a gift from God. And it is so easy to see that right now. It's so easy to see that right now. There's nothing that Joshua can do to prove himself. Absolutely nothing. In fact, often it's the opposite. (laughs) But as he grows up, actually, the temptation will become stronger for him to prove himself on his own merit. That's just the way it is to be human. The temptation there to be independent, to say, no, I want to prove myself, is so strong. And if you identify with any of those answers, I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what others say, you will be experiencing this temptation of pride on some level. It's impossible not to. You're in good company. Most of us recognize in our heads that pride isn't a great idea. It's not a great thing. Pride cometh before a fall. We all know and we all don't want to be in that position. And yet I'm convinced that it is a blockage for God to in using this church, in using the church in the city and in the nation, in power, because he wants to trust us. He wants to trust us. He wants to put his power in our hands. But if this issue of pride is getting in our way and it's so deeply rooted, what do we do about it? How do we actually move from it and move into a place of health, move into a place of humility? Well, I said earlier that it's been a bit of a journey for me, this posture of humility. And actually, that, that along that journey, there's been significant points um, that I could, have mar- I could mark in my mind of like, yeah, God did something then. One of those things happened last year, this t- around this time last year. And... A lot of you all know I'm part of a staff team here and part of an incredible team of incredibly gifted people. You've got an amazing team leading this church. And actually, that's been such a gift to me. It's been such a gift. And we have this amazing um, tradition, sort of tradition, I guess, um, of encouraging one another, particularly on our birthdays. Um, As a staff team, we'll get together and speak words of encouragement over each other. Now, the thing about that is I both loved it and dreaded it. Now, the good bit of me, the bit that like, oh, just, you know, love, love my team, love all the people on it, da, 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 loved hearing all these amazing encouragements of them. I genuinely did. That was part of my heart towards it. And then there was this other part of me, this shadow part of me, that would find it really difficult. And I hated that I found it really difficult. And you know why I found it really difficult? Because I was jealous of everybody in that room. I was jealous of what the, the gifts that they had. In that moment, as, pe- as people were kind of saying these encouragements, I was sat there thinking, oh, yeah, they are really great at that, but I guess I'm not that great at that then. That means, what does that, what does that mean about me? And you might think, oh, Joe, that's awful. Well, <laughs> thankfully, the Lord was speaking to me about it because it's not a healthy place to be. And I was getting so frustrated, so, so frustrated, that one morning, one particular morning, I remember exactly where I was sat in Johnny Name's living room, I just remember we were praying after doing one of these encouragement mornings. We were just praying generally. And I just remember weeping. I was just like crying out to God, Lord, I don't want to think like this anymore. I love these people. I don't want to be stuck in this place of pride and insecurity and this pendulum swing, constantly back and forth, feeling insecure about myself, jealous of others. Oh, it's so ugly, Lord. I hate it. Why can't I get rid of this in my head? And just in the silence, I just, God just spoke 
very, very clearly, happens very rarely to be that clear, but it was so clear. He said, Joe, you're acting out of the spirit of the elder son. hit me like a ton of bricks. Now, God has spoken to me quite a lot about this, this parable. You may be familiar with it, you may not be. We looked at it a few weeks ago in a parable series. But I'm going to just take us back there, um, just for a few minutes this morning, because it's been crucial for me in understanding um, actually what God is calling us to as his sons and daughters. Now, for those of you who, do, who don't remember, this parable Jesus was t- speaking um, about was about two sons, one younger, one older. The younger son um, asked for his inheritance early, went off and um, flitted it away um, on wild living, came back in shame, asking for his father's forgiveness. That's usually the bit of the story that we focus on. It's, and that's right, it's an amazing bit of the story. However, there's this second character, the elder son, and his reaction um, is, all, is all about what we're looking at today. His reaction to the younger son's return, he stayed at his father's house, as we'll hear about now. I'm just going to read it again. So now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother, and your, father has, your, bro- your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And what do we see in this character of the elder son? Well, I think firstly we see that there's no room for joy there's no room for rejoicing in the other person. A bit like my story, hey? He's someone who keeps himself on the edge. He won't go into the party. Self-exclusion, I think, is key here. Jealousy. You killed the fatted calf for him. Why not me? Self-pity. All these years I've slaved for you. Blame. This son of yours, nothing to do with me. The son's reaction is essentially saying, look, I've proved myself, haven't I? I've slaved for you, I've done all of this, all that you've asked, and you've not even noticed. My response was quite similar. Why don't you notice what I'm doing? The gifts I have, the person I am. Do you hear that pride, insecurity, pendulum swinging? But the father, interestingly, doesn't even address his claims or his competitions, his comparisons. He doesn't address them at all. He just speaks about himself. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Unconditional belonging as a son. Unconditional presence. And unconditional inheritance. 
In saying all of this, I think the father is wanting to teach the son about his own nature and about who then that makes him in front of his father. And you know, God said the same thing to me. After he said that cutting word, spirit of the elder son, he said, Joe, why do you think, why do you think that because I'm gazing on them, I don't have time to gaze on you too? You see, without, without this constant um, reaffirmation of who we are in God, we're just going to be on this roller coaster forever, folks. It doesn't end. You don't get to a point where you suddenly think you've made it and it stays the same and you just ride the wave. There'll be another trough. There'll be another failure. Something else will happen in your life. And you'll be down on that bottom of the roller coaster again. Humility depends on a right picture of God and a right picture of yourself in front of him. It absolutely depends on it. We can't get there on our own. I willed it in my own heart and I couldn't get there. I had to see who the father was and who I was in front of him. So we see in the elder son this example of what it looks like to not be in a posture of humility. But in Paul, in this passage in Philippians this morning, we're presented with a different son, with a son who shows the purest form of humility. Let's read it again. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used on his own, to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even death on a cross. Being in very nature God, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew who his father was, and he knew who he was in front of him. You might want to think back to that a famous baptism scene in Matthew 3. The Spirit comes on Jesus. The Father says, this is my Son, who I love, and in Him I'm well pleased. Maybe there's an echo there that Jesus is wanting to say in this parable. Son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. It was crucial for Jesus' ministry that it started in that place, that he knew exactly who he was, and he was able to walk in true humility. He only told people who he was when it actually advanced the gospel. It wasn't about him. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say grasped or seized. Hallelujah. Yeah. He didn't hold on to his rights or his position. And now we're not God. This isn't a picture of our story because we're not the Son of God. But aren't there things that we hold in our hands that we can grasp onto? That's my gift. That's my thing. Jesus was able to live in full surrender. Are we able to freely hold our hands out and say, yeah, 
All I have is gift, because all I am is gift. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. The key word here is made. Not he was nothing, or he became nothing. He made himself nothing. He took on that position himself. It's not about self-deprecation. It's about surrender. If we know God's nature, and we know ourselves to be beloved before him, just as Jesus did, we're set free from this prison of pride and insecurity. We're able to freely surrender ourselves before him. And you know, this posture, it leads somewhere. This posture of humility changes groups of people. And we see it, we see it in, in both of our passages this morning. You know, the Father, he says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and he's come to life. He was lost and has been found. What a terrible thing if we can't rejoice in that. The elder son couldn't rejoice. Well, we don't know whether he does. We hope he does. But what a terrible thing when our pride gets in the way and we can't rejoice in what God is doing in other people's lives because we're so focused on ourselves. Do we not want to be a people that is able to celebrate others rather than compete with them? And we see it in Philippians. We see this reality that Paul is painting. He's calling the church in Philippi to a different reality than the world's. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Don't we want to be that kind of community that is surrendered, that is self-forgetful? We just don't even worry about what we look like We just are obedient. We want to be an obedient people, stable enough and united enough to carry the weight of God's presence into this city. But there's no shortcuts. The only way, the only way I have found, come tell me if you found another way, I haven't found another way other than getting in front of the Father and knowing who I am in front of him. And Renewin says this, to grow beyond self-rejection, we must have the courage to listen to the voice calling us God's beloved sons and daughters and the determination always to live our lives according to this truth. It's not a determination to make ourselves anything worthy in front of God. It's a determination to live our lives according to being the beloved children of God. Grace upon grace upon grace is our story. It needs to be our story because we're not going to get anywhere if we think even for a second that any of it is on our own merit. Humility, this posture of humility is curated only when we look at God. Take our eyes off ourselves and look at God. Hear his voice over us. Hear his voice of affirmation as beloved sons and daughters. Thanks for listening to some of our teaching here at Trinity. We hope it's blessed you. If you live in the city or live outside of Nottingham and want to connect more with the church, check out some of our practices and pathways on our website. We call them one, few, company, and many. We're passionate about encountering Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he did, both individually and in our
our lives together so that we may see the church on fire and the city come alive. You can find these on our website under the Connect tab. Thanks for listening. Thank you.